Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. It's the last show of our 50th anniversary season, and we're taking a look back at five decades of Idaho political history. What's changed, what stayed the same, and what we might see next. I'm Melissa Davlin. Idaho Reports starts now. Hello and welcome to Idaho Reports. This week, Betsy Russell of the Idaho Press, Kevin Richard of Idaho Education News, and Chad Houck, Deputy Secretary of State, join me to discuss election audits and more. But first, Idaho Reports is the longest running public policy show in the West, and we celebrated our 50th anniversary this year. Over the past five decades, many of the debates at the State House and around Idaho have stayed the same, but a lot has changed in that time too. Tonight, we take a look back. Good evening. The release yesterday we started out twice weekly, I think, and it was a Boise-only program. And we called it The Reporters because we relied a lot on reporters coming in and talking to us about the stories they were covering. We also covered other local stories, but, and it gradually evolved from that into a nightly interconnected program, which was really, to my mind, the wonderful part about it because we could do stories from Eastern Idaho and stories from Northern Idaho, and we had the ability to have people in the studio in all three of those locations and talk to them from here. Good evening. It's been 14 years since the President of the United States visited Idaho, and as far as anyone can tell, no president has done what Jimmy Carter is doing here, rafting the Middle Fork of the Salmon River. The president you know, when you're prowling around the state house every day, as I did during the legislative session, and then putting on a half-hour program that night, uh, based upon what you learned during the day, and talking to a half a dozen people uh, on the set during the program, that's that's pretty good stuff. That's pretty good access. We were live every day on the fourth floor of the state house. We had a little studio up there in the corner, and then we sat out on a desk and did our reporting. And one of my main jobs the first couple years was to make sure that the floor waxer did not start up right when we were starting our program, which again was live. Audio killer. Ugh. I swear she had been instructed to start buffering the floor just when the show would begin. When I, when I was first here, we were working with two inch tape machines and basically nobody could touch them except the engineers. So we were reliant on engineers to help us edit our stories. But then we got the, the one-inch tape machines and they were a wonder. We could do our own editing and it was, it was just wonderful. In the late 90s, I think 1997, we moved from a daily program to a weekly program. Went to a weekly show after funding was cut by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. By that point, I was managing editor and host of, of Idaho Reports, and it was difficult to do, I have to say. The one thing about Idaho Reports that has remained consistent is its quality and its commitment to covering state government. 
in some ways felt like we were tilting against windmills, obviously, because of the way that things have blown up. But to just really try to have people who didn't agree with each other sit around a table and talk, right? And there's so much value to that. One particularly uh, a good moment that I remember was right after the 1982 election, uh, John Evans reelected as governor, uh, defeating Phil Batt. Uh, Larry Craig was elected to Congress and George Hansen was elected to Congress. And we did an hour long special uh, the day after the election and we got all three of them on the program together. Uh, I did individual interviews with each one of them and then they engaged in a robust discussion of Idaho priorities and politics for, you know, the 30 minutes or so. It was really, really fascinating. Uh, our congressmen are talking about the issues of the economy and Social Security. Uh, uh, how about the balanced budget? Uh, where are we going to be there? Uh, it's the Congress and the President's responsibility to, uh, to accomplish that particular goal. It's going to be a very difficult goal to, uh, uh, to succeed in, uh, but if the President isn't successful, uh, you know, that he can't get the Congress uh, to go along, well then the President is probably going to suffer as a result of it. I remember and I got up in my apartment in 1982, it would have been, I think, and the apartment was shaking. And I thought, oh, I think I know what I'm doing today. Declared a state of emergency uh, for Custer County. Uh, the severity of the damage over there uh, is extensive. Uh, we've lost two children uh, who were killed on the main street of Chalice. And it turned out that the earthquake had centered over in Chalice, which is a million miles from anywhere. But we had a woman named Paula Whistle, wonderful woman, uh, who got in her car with her camera guy and went and did a story and had it back for us. I remember we were editing that. We aired at 6.30, and we were editing that story up until about 6.25. But that's what it enabled us to do, which nobody else at the time could do. One of the biggest stories I covered for Idaho Reports was the 1990 abortion bill. That was a huge bill. Uh, it was a test case. They were trying to pass a very strict abortion bill somewhere in the country, and they came to Idaho, and Idaho was willing to be that test subject. And it divided that legislature, and then it began to divide the state. There were thousands of people protesting every night on the Capitol building, and Governor Andrews at the time played it very smart by waiting until after the legislature adjourned to veto the bill. I did not take the oath of office as for governor of the state of Idaho to put my name on bad legislation. Ladies and gentlemen, therefore, I have vetoed House Bill 625 and returned it to the House from whence it came. Kempthorne really wanted these Garvey bonds to be approved that would make, that allow us to spend a bunch of money and then slowly pay that off. The legislature really, a lot of them didn't want it because they didn't want to shift into that space. He one day sat down with a stack, every bill that had been passed to him. He sort of said he was gonna do it and nobody believed him and he just popped, then he grabbed 12 of them and he just vetoed them. So those that are suggesting that this may be a, just a day or so left of this session, I'm willing to stay as long as it takes. This may be a very long session, folks. So with that, I will take care of some of these house bills. That sound sends a strong message. Just bam, 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 bam. And it was, it was kind of cool and exciting, right? I mean, you don't get that kind of 
And I mean, exciting from a legislative standpoint. Most of the same issues still exist. The state's uh, economic development. The reintroduction of wolves, salmon recovery, confined animal feeding operations. The future of the Idaho National Laboratory. Abortion, education funding, uh, water rights. The every year annual budget fight over support for public schools and higher education is one uh, enduring theme in Idaho politics. The issues may not be that much different, but they're writ larger. You are basically covering three parties now, and we only had to cover two. We had your standard Democrats and your standard Republicans, and there were always more of the latter, but there they were. You've got your Democrats, whatever few of them there are, you've got your establishment Republicans, and then you've got your far-right Republicans. And there is a war going on for the soul of the Republican Party. The debates today seem to me to be less substantive than they were back in the 70s and 80s in particular. And part of the reason for that is uh, Idaho has become an even more one-party state than it was, uh, you know, those decades ago. I think this, this whole in-your-face politics was not present 40 years ago. Um, and I think it's the result of some movement into the state, but I think primarily it's a national thing and results from the rise of social media and the rise of Donald Trump. What I remember are many, many, many disagreements on issues, but I don't remember many questioning of motives. I have not spoken to the Attorney General, nor did I go down there. I bumped into the Attorney General coming back from the lunch hour with Representative Kearns right beside me, and he told me he had sent the opinion forthwith to the House. The lady demands an apology of the gentleman. The lady's point is before the group, does the gentleman District 19 care to respond? If the lady didn't discuss the matter, then I was misinformed. And on that one point, I will apologize to the lady. Does the lady accept the apology? To be penitent, Mr. Speaker, is to be almost innocent. Therefore, the lady accepts the apology. In other words, you want to do this because you want to indoctrinate our children or something, or you want to do this because you're out to destroy government. There wasn't a lot of questioning of motives. There was, here's a problem, and we have different perspectives as to how to fix it. And maybe we can find common ground, and maybe we don't, and the Republican view prevails. But in any event, there wasn't this in your face, you are evil, um, you know, and the desire to censor things, which I think is a very dangerous uh, trend. We now take you out to the scene of the rededication ceremony on the steps of the Capitol. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Lori Otter and welcome to the Idaho State Capitol! I think in some ways the State House remodel might have contributed to it too because before the wings were there, everything was out in the open. It was very, like there were no secret exits. There were no, you know, everybody came in and out the front doors of every room. It was, you, if you wanted to talk to somebody that day, you found them. I think with the wings, and for a lot of the right reasons, putting in all of the, 
you know, there were some more safety considerations. There were back doors and hallways that people could use and a lot more office space. It just, it professionalized things in a way that created distance. And so when that distance is created, I think people need to find new ways to be heard. And I think that's probably what you're seeing to a degree. I can't imagine having seen a protest that would have shut down a hospital like we had here a couple of months ago, a few months ago. Um, I can't imagine having seen that 30 or 40 years ago. It seems to me one of the things that has changed is that it's, diff it's more difficult now to do the job that you guys are doing than it was when I was trying to do it. There was not the level of animosity directed towards reporters uh, and people who were asking politicians and others difficult questions. It was kind of uh, expected to be part of the part of the engagement, part of the game. That uh, if you were an elected official or you were aspiring to be, you had to show up for the debates and you had to, you know, engage in the discussion and you had to answer questions sometimes that were not terribly comfortable. Uh, and I think that to some degree that has changed fairly dramatically. And it's much more difficult now uh, to, to practice the kind of uh, good, straightforward, down the middle journalism that you guys uh, put on the air all the time. Uh, because people are more skeptical of the media in general and uh, always believe that you know everybody has an agenda as opposed to just trying to provide uh, information and an outlet for people to talk about what they want to talk about. What Idaho Reports does is so critical to democracy and to journalism. For 50 years, Idaho Reports has been keeping Idahoans in touch with the laws that are being made for them, with them, with their tax money. Let's give away the surplus, not the ongoing revenue. Let's give that back to the taxpayer, the surplus. Michael, we can give the surplus back and we can cut rates because we're the highest, among the highest in the nation. We must leave it there. We will carry on this conversation, this House versus Senate conversation at some other time, or maybe even let you two carry it on outside the set. <laughs> Thank you very much for Thank you, Barbara, Thank for you, having us. Joining me this week for the pundits are Betsy Russell of the Idaho Press, Kevin Richard of the Idaho Education News website, and Chad Houck, Deputy Secretary of State. Kevin and Betsy, I want to start with you and your reaction to the look back on the last 50 years. Would you agree, Betsy, that it's not the topics that have changed so much as the tenor of the debates? Absolutely. I mean, so many of those topics were so familiar. They're exactly the same issues that we are covering today. It's almost eerie how, how many of the topics are, are the same. And also so many of the faces, those faces look different now, but they are the same people. And there were so many clips that we found that we didn't use. There are a lot of very familiar faces in those archives. Well, just the exchange in the end of that segment between uh, Mike Simpson and Rachel Gilbert, which was a, a pointed exchange, it almost feels quaint by comparison to the kind of discourse and the kind of rancor that we're seeing right now. It made me nostalgic. That, that kind of punchiness. In a weird way. It, it was a charming punchiness, <laughs> <Yes>. exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, as we think about um, some of those themes staying the same, but but the rhetoric changing, what would you attribute that to, Betsy? Well, our, our society certainly has changed 
in many ways. Um, the role of social media, mm -hmm. the splintering of mass communications into niches where people reinforce their biases rather than try to talk to each other. There's a lot going on in our society and our culture that's changed the, the nature and the tenor of public discourse. And, and the algorithms too, certainly on social media, only feed into that. Right, it's, social media has almost incentivized what we're seeing in terms of this coarsening of the debate. And you know, we all kind of hope it changes. I think for, for, for everybody's good, we all kind of hope it, it dials back a little bit, but I don't know how that happens or whether that happens. And certainly one of the, uh, one of the debates that social media influenced in Idaho and around the nation um, was election integrity. And, and while some states may have had different problems, there were baseless claims in Idaho from Mike Lindell, the MyPillow guy, uh, claiming that Idaho had some discrepancies in its, in its final counts. Um, I wanted to get your response to that, Chad. Well, you know, it's very interesting that uh, we have nationwide, we have all these different claims being made, but there's been very, very little evidence ever brought forward. And uh, in the case of the Lindell situation, that was the first instance where we had actual empirical numbers that had been published somewhere publicly uh, that, that made a claim that something happened not just in a spot in Idaho, but across the entire state of Idaho in every one of our 44 counties. So Specifically in the 2020 general election, the, the presidential election. Exactly, and it alleged effectively that every single county in Idaho was manipulated electronically by about 8.5% and created that 8.5% error, even though we had a presidential candidate that had over a 30% lead in, in the statewide uh, presidential race. So. Those kinds of things, we've always said, if you have actual evidence, if you have actual information that we can validate against or that we can invalidate, bring it to us and we'll investigate that, we'll look into it. In this case, we finally had something that we could actually look at. We went out and did that and found it to be completely baseless. You know, and this week, you your office is in the process of conducting a post-election audit, which is a fairly new process for Idaho's Secretary of State. That is a process that got set into motion even before the allegations, uh, the, the false allegations from the 2020 election. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Absolutely, so audits are not anything new in the country. Uh, they're not anything new in elections. They're just something new in Idaho, and it's been an agenda of Secretary Denny since he came into office for his first term to try and look at, uh, at that time there were only maybe a dozen states or so that weren't doing some form of post-election audit nationwide. That number dwindled to nine before we were able to actually get our legislation passed, but we were looking at this in 2017. In 2018 we got a federal grant and we earmarked specific funds for both researching and executing uh, post-election audits in 2018 and those have been in those reports and, and holding all the way through while we looked at this. In fact, we used those funds to go down to Colorado and watch Colorado's risk-limiting audit actually got to participate in executing that risk-limiting audit in 2018. Uh, we've been finding out what works or what could work for Idaho, but Idaho's unique in how we produce our elections. We have 44 separate elections. We call it a bottom-up model where it's run in the counties, overseen by the state, but that means you've got 44 different potential processes that you're gonna have to go in and audit, and that means finding a common entry point. And that was the big difficulty, is figuring out how are we gonna do this in a way that's meaningful, that produces meaningful results or, or findings, which is your goal in an audit, um, without it being just looking like another recount. And, and what we came up with is the fact that the one common 
piece across all 44 counties is Idaho's paper ballot system. So yes, it starts in the same place as a recount. It goes different directions from that point, uh, but that's how we ended up ultimately being able to put together the legislation, uh, get the support of the governor's cybersecurity task force to get that movement, certainly aided by the things that happened in 2020, because as we mentioned, that changed the tenor of the entire debate. Yeah, as we're having this conversation on Friday morning, your office is still in the middle of this post-election audit, but can you talk to us about the findings, uh, the preliminary findings that you've had so far? Certainly, well, and this is exactly where it really differentiates itself from a recount. Now, the recount procedures statutorily in Idaho come from the Attorney General's office. They're in control of that process. Uh, there are, in fact, we're in, we're in Bannock County today, and Bannock is going to be doing a recount in a couple of, a couple of days after we're out looking at the exact same ballots. Uh, but the difference here is that when we look at it, we're not there for the count. We're using that starting point to see, can we reproduce procedurally the same results, or if we have variations in the results, do we have enough procedures counterbalances, checkpoints, and, and processes in place that we can explain why those are different. For example, in one county recently, we had plus two for McGrain. They were reviewing the uh, Secretary of State race. We had plus two for McGrain, plus two for Moon, and plus one for Sousa for a net of five there. But then we had a minus one and a minus. So you end up with this negative one overall if you balance all those votes out. A recount would see that as a difference of one. We saw that as a difference of seven. So, because we're looking at those variations and trying to explain them. And those variations can be because of light markings on the, on the ballot that the computer doesn't necessarily pick up or uh, multiple. It can be the light markings on a ballot in a space where they're using a machine tabulation system at a precinct. That machine's just gonna read that as an undervote. But if a human's looking at it, they might discern that voter's intent. Well, the statute lays out two different procedures on voter intent really only plays in in a hand count county where there is people looking at that ballot. So it's why it's so important, and you hear counties always reinforcing, mark your ballot clearly, circle the bubble, or fill in the bubble fully so that the machine's able to catch that intent. You know, 44 different counties having 44 different processes on, on some levels makes sense because we know that Custer County is very, very different than Ada County. Um, but are there some processes where it would make more sense to have that standardized on a state level? Well, you've always got a balance of both efficiency, costs, and then, of course, the accuracy and the ability to replicate certain things in certain communities. So when you get out into some of our more rural communities, we don't have still to this point, we don't have uh, statewide comprehensive coverage of broadband for connectivity so that we can get, for example, the electronic poll book connection to, to fall into a small rural fire department outpost that, that's being used as a polling location. So you have some of those things that make it a little bit difficult. I think we're getting closer to a point where we can start to see more common ground, and we're already seeing that. Probably 90% of Idaho is using electronic poll books now. Uh, but there's still some things that when you're in a small, Clark County, for example, 176 voters in this last election, to try and tell them that they need to spend $6,000 or $7,000 to set up an electronic tabulator to count 176 ballots, it's just unreasonable. You know, we've, we've spent a lot of this program looking back and looking at the past few months. As we look ahead, Kevin, do you think that the, the extremism is going to shape the next several years 
of Idaho political discourse, or have we had, are we seeing a course correction as this is becoming a bigger part of the dialogue? I don't see a course correction just in this last election. If anything, I see kind of a hardening on both sides within the Republican Party. It was such a split verdict, you know, between mainstream Republicans winning and hardline Republicans winning. So, no, I, I don't see it as a course correction at this point. And I think the, the hardening of positions, the, the, uh, the extremism in politics will continue as long as there's success to be had at the polls. I mean, politics just kind of works that way. It's, it's very results-oriented. As long as there are results, you know, this is what we'll see in the future. Well, I actually think that there is some encouraging news in what Chad was talking about. So this year, the vote to institute these um, post-election integrity audits was unanimous in both houses. The vote to allocate $50,000 of taxpayer money for that was unanimous in both houses. The governor proposed it in his State of the State address, and the results are extremely encouraging with regard to the integrity of Idaho's election system. Now, we're still waiting for the final ones from the final day, but for example, on the first day, when they audited the state's largest county, Ada County, it came out perfect, no variance at all. Well, that really puts the lie to a lot of unsubstantiated talk about how, oh, our system doesn't work, our elections don't have integrity, there must be fraud out there. And I, I guess the nugget of encouragement that I see there is people can lie, <laughs> people can make unsubstantiated claims, but when there are facts and hard data right in front of them, endorsed by all sides in the legislature and in our leadership, that tells us the actual truth. Hopefully that captures attention and that sets the record straight. Do you think that focus on uh, on standardizing these elections and, and increasing public trust is gonna carry over with the next Secretary of State, whether it's Phil McGrain or the Democratic candidate? I think it's less about the standardization and more about the sharing of ideas. Uh, that's, as Betsy mentioned just a moment ago, you know, the, the Ada County count came out exactly on, but that's not the biggest story out of the Ada County audit. And that's where these secondary reports that our office will be pre preparing in the next couple of weeks are going to be important because the things that came out of the Ada County audit that were amazing weren't the fact that Ada County was dead on, it was the different means by which they got to that point the ease at which we were able to retrieve the various ballots that we asked for because they were all randomly selected, but we were able to find every single one of them easily. They were all well organized. This little guy right here is the biggest single thing that I, that I think we came out of Ada County with, and it's just simply a green pen. And it was the fact that before our team was allowed to go on their floor with their ballots, we were told we had to empty our pockets of any red and, or any blue and black ink, and we were all given green pens because green pens aren't used to mark ballots and we couldn't mess up a ballot at that point. We're gonna have to leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us. This is the end of our broadcast season, but we'll be back on the air in October. In the meantime, you can always find political analysis and in-depth reporting from around the state on the Idaho Reports online site, including our weekly podcast and newsletter. You can find all that and more at our website, idahoptv.org slash Idaho Reports. Our closing note, personal in nature tonight, a great many people work on this broadcast, and many have worked very diligently over the course of the last three months to prepare and present it. 
Presenting a daily broadcast on the going-ons of the Idaho legislature is a major challenge, and we think it is a major responsibility as well for public television. We continue and will continue to report on the actions and to analyze the results of this session in the days that lie immediately ahead. We hope that you will be there. Now, if you will, sit for just a moment and read the credits as they roll tonight. These are the people who make this broadcast work. I'm Mark Johnson. Good night from Boise. presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.